in a gaming chair. There you go. Or something. Good evening, all. Happy Tuesday. Hidden Treasures Revealed is on air. And uh, we will be back with you in just a moment here. Let our music play. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Good evening, all. This evening, we have two members of our church gathering here with us, husband and wife, Josh and Anna Ruth Simmons. And we are going to be talking about the subject of a godly marriage. What does it look like? And Josh and Anna Ruth being married coming up on 10 years. And we're going to give them an opportunity to talk about their marriage, the experiences that they have, the head knowledge and the heart knowledge gained and gaining as we speak. So at this time, Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you. And the purpose of this is for to have understanding from a godly perspective of what a godly marriage is and what better way than two people that are in a godly marriage to give experiences that they've had from the beginning and even up till now <clears throat> so that those listening and us included, we can continue to learn and see what true marriage is from Yah's perspective and having more and more understanding of that and getting to hear from those who have experience in it to use this to think about the word of God and different things. So great to have you all here with us, not only on Wednesdays and Sundays, but here with us now. So Josh, I'll just let you just speak what comes to mind. Just tell us about from when you all first got married and up until now, and just things that you've learned, things you're learning on, you know, discuss your all's journey together. Well, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is when we were talking back and forth about getting married, um, we sat down at Starbucks and we said, hey, we're going to talk about dating or not dating and marriage or no marriage. And we're going to do this for, I think it was three months or six months. And at the end of that period, we're either going to make the decision we're not going to get married or we're going to make the decision, okay, we're getting married. And that was the mindset that going into this is not, oh, we're going to date and try things out and see how things work. It's we're either going to figure out we're getting married at the end of this or we're not going to get married at the end of this. 
And that was a commitment level. We were both 100% committed to doing that. And that's a really good intro to the aspect of faith, that faith is about 100% commitment, that it's just like when you enter into a searching and seeking with all your heart for faith, that's a full commitment into that. And that's meant to be carried until it's completely fulfilled. Same thing with marriage. We entered into our relationship with the idea of this is going to end in a complete commitment of you and me fully committed to one another until we leave this earth. And that was probably the biggest thing that set any dating aspect that I've ever had in my life apart from another. And I'll let you share a little bit about that, Anna. It's so funny. I forgot that we had our first date at Starbucks and then we walked in carrying Starbucks tonight. So that's a tradition that's been going nine year, nine or 10 years strong. Um, yeah. So I, there's, I kind of look at our relationship together in phases. So I guess I'll just talk about the pre circumcision of the heart phase on my side, and then I can let you kind of chat about that on your side. And I have kind of like three stages in my head currently for me, pre-circumcision of the heart, then when I got it, and then after we both had it. So that's kind of in my head how it looks. So for me going into this, um, I didn't really have any other long-term relationships because we met when I was 18 and we got married by the time I was 19. So for me, um, I don't know, you were pretty much my first and only <laughs> long-term relationship. And I was pretty excited. Um, I thought you looked like Thor. That was my celebrity crush at the time. So my mom actually said that. Um, so I, I was, I was pretty happy all the way around and meeting at Starbucks. And with that understanding, I was all, I remember being super happy because I'm, I was very socially awkward and now I'm relatively socially awkward. So it was a good thing for me that we were kind of already locked in. So then I didn't have to worry about navigating all of the complex social situations that to be honest, I still don't do so well in. Um, so I was very excited about that perspective of we're going to commit to this and we're just going to go ahead and go forward. Um, so we did, we, I don't dated or were together for six months before we got married, I think is what it was five or six months. Um, and after we got married, so like I said, neither one of us had circumcision of the heart at this point, although we each thought that we did. We were still pretty new into the faith that we know, and we were just learning through it. So we entered in with this desire that it was going to be this, um, I don't I, I thought we were going to have an easy road. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend. <laughs> I thought we were going to have an easy road. I was like, we're committed to God. This is great. This is, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll struggle some. Yeah, we did um, a lot. I like to think of it as like the rocky road, but not like one of those 
smooth pea gravel, like rocky roads, more like a jagged, cut your foot um, kind of rocky road thing. But I will say um, that because we had made the commitment and in the gathering that we are in, divorce is not and never was an option. I will say that if it wasn't for that commitment and the faith journey that I'd already started in, most likely I would have divorced Josh by year two. That's not something I say with any kind of pride, but that is the truth of the matter. Um, Around that time, um, Josh has shared this on other podcasts that he had uh, struggles with alcohol And it had gotten just a little bit worse as the years went by and to the point that he had started to hide it from me and it was draining our finances and I just couldn't get any traction with it. And um, I was doing a lot of battle there and with me not actually being in faith, I was also just lashing out selfishly on my end. So um, I guess I'll pause there and see if you had anything to throw into that or not. Did you have anything? Or? Well, how about you talk about your, your journey up to that point and what your mindset was in the time? Well, the main thing we were focused on, like I said, we were focused on being fully committed to one another. And the aspect of fully committed to faith and learning what that meant, um, not realizing that we were, I was, I was still very selfish in multiple things, thinking that, oh, yeah, you know, we have faith. It, we've had the gathering look at us. You know, we've decided to come together. We have the support of the gathering. This is this is going to work. It's going to be easy. We're going to have all the support we need. Um and it's not going to be a hard road. We'll be, you know, if something's going to come up, we'll be able to fix it. We'll be able to talk it out and um, finding out that that's not true because the deepest thing that I've been learning over faith is you're battling yourself throughout the rest of your faith journey. Um, and that's just a constant battle. And if you're not recognizing that battle, then you end up fighting each other, thinking that you're gaining ground. And really all you're doing is defending yourself when you need to be fighting self selfishness, not self selfishness to move past that. And of course that was insight that was given further down the road. So for, for me, I would say that I had my own selfish tendencies of, well, you know, it's my wife and I'm supposed to come home and she's supposed to want to see me and spend time with me and all these. And I would come home from work and be like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll have a couple of drinks and play some video games. And why are you upset that I'm doing that? That this is fun. This is hanging out, you know? And and that's not fun for you. That's not enjoyable for you to watch me play video games. But again, learning back and forth and then seeing that that was just what I was doing when I was single and that the mindset was, well, yeah, you know, I'll just continue to be this way together because you're fine with this versus no, we're not separate anymore. We're now one and we have to learn what one is because we were two separate individuals. So that was something that I didn't have insight on that first couple years of our marriage. And that carried even probably to four or five years of our marriage for me. I know it changed for you sooner. So, 
Well, no, I was thinking that for around the first four or five years of our marriage, I, um, I was a much quieter person. I was a lot more introverted. I didn't have as many friends and I really put a lot of time and energy into chasing after your attention. So I would be home when you were playing video games and drinking and I was there. So, and I think for you, it was nice to have the companion, even though you were kind of doing your own thing, but you liked knowing that I was there. Um, and around year four or five is when, and this wasn't a conscious shift in me. I don't like, I don't have any recollection of sitting down and thinking, oh, I'm just going to go put energy into friends now. Um, I'd met a couple of friends at work, some girlfriends, and then um, I started hanging out a lot with Andrew, who is Phil's son as well, um, and really just started to put my energy and time into friends and to find an emotional connection and fulfillment through friendships because I wasn't getting that from you at the time. And that's when, and again, not that I had done it with intention, but I really was starting to give up on working on our marriage. Not that it was ever in my mind to leave or divorce or anything like that, but I had gotten to the point where I was extremely frustrated um, with putting in effort and not getting effort back, which is, again, another part of selfishness. Um, Somewhere around that time, year four or five, is when I actually got circumcision of the heart. Um, So then that's when, for me, things got a lot better and tougher. It's weird because better because I was able to make progress in certain areas for me, tougher because the further you get in faith, the tighter your boundaries get. Like with our little girl Liliana, the she's almost two right now. So the expectations on her are pretty low. I mean, she's not expected to do a whole lot of cleaning, a whole lot of care for herself because she's simply incapable. Now, you know, ask me again five years from now, and she's going to have way tighter expectations comparatively to when she's two because she can handle it. And the same thing with Faith. The further you go, the um, closer your boundaries and tighter your boundaries get into you because you can handle more. So more is expected of you. So um, that started my journey of learning to curb my selfishness. Um, And somewhere in that region, I had gotten a text message from Phil. And it was so funny because I was like, in the basement of his house, just hanging out with Andrew. I think we were watching a show or something. And he had, he sent me a text message that he had gotten from Yah. And the gist of it was that if you um, ignore the problems in your marriage, they're not going to go away. And that's not what you're called to do 
as a godly wife because there is scripture that talks about um i think it's peter i think it's peter talking to women peter or paul i can't remember which one and he's actually talking to the women about how your behavior can win over your husband it does go both ways but he's specifically talking to women but i truly just was not spending a whole lot of time with josh because i had built up all of these years of subconscious resentment and i again just sometimes turning a blind eye to what you're doing it wasn't that i thought about these things but i was doing them i was not spending time with him. I had cut myself off emotionally and was just investing selfishly into what I wanted. So when I got that text message, um, it definitely hurt at first. I just was like, whoa, you know, I, in my mind, I had put in all of this work for all of these years with Josh. And in my mind, I wasn't getting much in return, which again speaks of selfishness. So to get that text message, um, it rocked me on my heels a little bit, but um, I took some time to think it over because I didn't, I had no doubts that it was from Yah and I trust what Phil says. It simply was hurtful to me to have somebody that I deeply respect tell me that I was doing something wrong, but it was necessary. So after I thought about it and I was like, it's not wrong. So what am I going to do about it? And I remember that I sat down with Josh and that we were going to, uh, we didn't have Liliana at this point. So we were going to make some date nights and take some time together and consciously make an effort to develop our um, friendship connection again, along with the emotional connection. And that we were, um, I remember that I asked him to start calling me on his breaks at work. So we would have that chat um, at least once a day before he got home. So there were, I started to apply practical steps to, um, to really to obey what Yah was telling me and to put more effort into our marriage. So I'll take a take a break and let you catch up to there. Well, we talk about uh, I've spoken about the battling of selfishness, and that's that's really what you're doing. And by not evaluating your selfishness, you're projecting onto someone else, and it's your fault. And this is the reason why I feel this way, or why I'm upset, or why I'm angry. And I remember having those conversations with you and I remember having those conversations about Andrew and building resentment towards Andrew, who I've now had conversations with outside of here um, and asked him to forgive me for that. And he did. And I've asked you to forgive me for that because you're recognizing that it's not the other person. It's you. Um, my own battles of insecurity, my own battles of rejection. Um, so just recognizing that those are things that I was dealing with and not knowing that's what it was and not having the understanding and faith to be able to dig those issues out and work on them because I wasn't seeking with all my heart at that point. Um, that's where the, the real struggle was for me because when you can't identify the problem, it's really hard to fix a problem that you can't identify. So um, that was a lot of frustration on my part, not knowing how to fix me 
but then being upset that I couldn't fix you either, which ultimately felt like I wasn't able to fix our marriage, which ultimately made me feel more like a failure and have more insecurity in that because toxic masculinity will just say that I'm you know, supposed to be able to fix the marriage. I'm supposed to be able to keep our marriage together and you know make my wife happy and I'm not making my wife happy and I'm supposed to provide and I'm not doing any of this stuff. And ultimately all that boils down to selfishness and pride again and learning how to take those things aside and say, look, this is what it is. I don't know how to fix this and I need help fixing this. I'll take whatever advice from faith, whatever advice from friends and family that I can evaluate it with faith, evaluate it with scripture, have quiet time. And yeah, what am I supposed to do in this? I just don't understand. Will you please give me anything for a direction? And seeing that time, probably that was a little bit past what you just talked about, but in that time frame, seeing those things come up, uh, multiple changes, we ended up moving in that, that time, getting a new house, going through all of those things. Um, and there was back and forth with that. Uh, I know you weren't happy to buy the house. Um, I realized I made a decision to buy it and then didn't discuss it with you. So then I was like, well, then we're not going to buy it. And I remember calling my family back and telling them, hey, look, we're not buying the house. Um, if Anna's not on board with it, we're not doing it. And then coming back and talk to you about it. Well, you know, maybe, maybe we should. We decided to buy it anyway. And that worked out for the best because... I fully believe, I know that that was a faith aspect that it worked out because I took the time to evaluate, Hey, I made that decision without discussing it with my wife and making sure we're making this decision together. So we're not doing it. And then came back and talked to you and you can speak about the house or not, but we made that decision. We bought it and it worked out for the best because if we tried to buy a house now, there is no way we could afford to buy a house. So then that's kind of where, I look at that as our marriage moving forward from there. Once we got into the house, it was kind of just you and me. It kind of moved us out of the equation of being around someone else that would keep us accountable and especially keep me accountable. So I would say that's probably where it got to be the worst for me um, as far as struggling with selfishness and all of those things and uh, building resentment towards you and Andrew and your relationship and then getting mad about that and talking to you about it and by you, nope, I'm not going to fight about this. And you just go off. And normally you would go talk to Phil and I'd be like, well, you've got Phil to talk to Who do I've got to talk to you? And I would get mad typically and get upset and get frustrated because I couldn't figure it out. Cause I didn't have at that point, I wasn't seeking out with all my heart. So I wasn't able to figure out how to fix me and you were getting direction on how to fix you. So that was, that's probably about where we're at. Actually, I had kind of forgotten. I think that makes a lot of sense that with the house. So to recap, I come from a big family. When we got married, we lived with your parents for about six months. And then the Gertlers, the Phil and Cindy, um, they did some renovating and created a basement apartment um, that we rented for maybe two years, two or three years. And so... After that, when we moved out and got our own house, I'm pretty sure that's actually when I made that switch to hanging out with my friends more because I was lonely. That, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was because when we lived with the Gertlers, I would just pop upstairs. You didn't mind because you would game or whatever in the basement. So if I was hanging out upstairs, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I think that 
makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so when we would have arguments, I'm an analyzer, I'm a processor, and I, yeah, I absolutely would go talk to Phil. But the cool thing was, um, is that by this, maybe by this point, or somewhere around this time, I really started finally listening to what Phil would say. And most of it was he would ask me questions to help guide me into discovering what I needed to know. And Phil was always an opportunity for you to speak to. You just weren't ready because you knew the conversations I had with him. You knew that if you went to Phil, you were going to be put on blast. So, and that is, I mean, if you're not ready to be put on blast, then you're probably not going to seek that person out. So, um, I don't know why I, I seem to enjoy getting, I have talked to Phil, I don't know how many times over the past 10 years, so many conversations. And yes, if you have an issue and if you go talk to Phil, you will be put on blast. The other person will not, which is appropriate and not at all frustrating. Not at all. Never. But um, so that was, I am a, I don't, I guess I'm more of a people person than what I originally thought of myself. So I would go have conversations with Phil or Cindy. I will say that for the most part, I would pick somebody in faith to have conversations with because it was important to me to, I guess, to protect my husband as much as possible. So I wasn't going to go to somebody who didn't have faith and just put him on blast because they were not going to understand. They weren't going to have anything helpful to say. And I just what didn't want to do that to him. And I'm again, I'm more solutions based. If I am going to go talk to somebody about something, I'm interested in them having advice for me. Not that I always have to take it, but just hearing somebody like get on board with me just is not very useful for me. So um, I will say that that's kind of my take on, I'm glad you brought up the house thing because that makes sense. Did you have something else? Just the, the that whole situation, um, you know, you going and talking to Phil all the time and having that time gave me an opportunity to finally sit down and say, okay, so what am I not getting? What am I not understanding? I've got to figure this out because I was getting very upset that you didn't want to be with me, that you didn't want to be home. Cause the perception for me was rejection again and all of those things. And it wasn't that you were doing that to be mean. It was that you were doing that because I was being so difficult that you were trying to protect and not resent me. So I can see those things coming out. Um, biggest thing for me was having time with Yah and getting so upset and so frustrated that I would bang my head against the wall because I couldn't figure stuff out or I would be downstairs just crying and screaming. And uh, I remember one time, uh, Yah straight through, I believe it was Sean, um, stop crying. This is adult stuff. Stop crying. It's not going to work. Throwing a temper tantrum is not going to work. Man up, figure out what's going on or change it. This isn't the road that's easy. That doesn't work. I'm like, that's paraphrasing by all means. It's not exactly how Sean said it, but that's 
that was something I needed. I mean, I, you know, that was not having a father figure in my life to have that tough, straightforward, matter of fact, non-emotional and, um, direct, Hey, figure this out. This is not solving anything. This is only prolonging the thing, prolonging what's going on and, uh, learning more about myself that that is an emotional manipulation tactic that I've done my entire life. And, realizing that those things were, again, you can't, you can't defeat your selfishness if you're not aware of what makes you selfish. And that's something that I did not know was a part of who I was, um, was emotional manipulation and figuring out how to navigate when that arises. It's going back to, well, if I cry or get my way or temper tantrum or whatever it is, someone will be like, oh, well, that's a lot. And they'll take it away from me or they'll go ahead and just cave and let me do it. And that's not at all how Yacht works. Yacht does not. No. So something I'd done my entire life to get my way didn't work with Yah, And that made me more frustrated. So then I got angry. And then realizing that anger is definitely not the direction to go with Yah. That, that is not at all the direction you want to go with Yah at all. Um. So seeing those things. So finally, after anger didn't work, um, and I don't know the course of this time, this was, this wasn't a super long stretched out time. This was probably, um, a year or so of going through this with me, um, in my own side and my own side of it, um, before I finally hit a point of, okay, so anger and then starting to evaluate why are these things coming up? And then realizing that the core of all of this lies in fear. So, diving into self and figuring out what am I most terrified in my entire life? And that's what I'm going to attack and realizing that the thing that I feared the absolute most was being completely alone all by myself, completely alone was the most terrifying thing for me. And once I realized that I was like, this makes sense on what's going on with my wife and why I feel this way. So that was when I started to have quiet time and started to seek out with all my heart and really asking them, what am I, what am I not letting go of? What am I still holding on to over what you might ask me to do? And they made it clear it was you, um, that you are still putting your wife in a position of a God above me, that you are not willing to lose your wife for faith. And I was like, wow. Okay. And not that they would be okay with divorce in any way, but the fear of not letting you go of what if she does go away? What if she separates from a time? Scripture talks about separating for a time when you were unequally yoked, uh, that, that mindset. And there was separation for a time to reflect and then come back together. It's not a, it's not a divorce. It's a time for reflection and then coming back together to work it out. And I was like, what if that does take place? And I was like, well, that terrified me. And once I realized that once I realized from Yah that my fear wasn't Yah, it was being alone. And Yah was like, your fear is misplaced. You're being alone is because ultimately being alone and dying without me is going to lead you to hell. And that's where your real isolation is. And that's what your fear is tied to. And once I realized that, I was like, wow, okay, now we've got a place to move. And that gave me a direction to really start to seek with all my heart and move in that direction of digging in and figuring things out and proving commitment and kind of going away from me, 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 and put the focus where it needed to be to start that journey and move forward and 
you were there with a lot of that. So questions would come to you and you were, <laughs> it's a very good thing that you are controlling your emotions so well sometimes because I'm the opposite of that. And typically I tend to be very overpouring with my emotions. So when I would get frustrated or upset, those emotions would rise and come out and not controlling them well. You would help me navigate through that and then give me questions to help me go back and evaluate that uh, directed by Yah. And that gave me a, a that much more of a push to move. And that's something that we still continue in our marriage now. But that was a huge help through that. And um, actually, some of the questions you posed to me uh, were the ones that really sunk probably the deepest because they were probably at my most vulnerable points when I was having quiet time with Yah and I'd come upstairs and I'm like, I'm not getting anything. I'm not hearing anything. I don't understand. And I just don't know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm and you yeah through you making statements like, what are you really doing this for? Why are you living your life? I was like, I don't know. Okay. I'd evaluate that. And it's like, wow, that came out. If that came out, then that's really in my heart. So I don't know why I'm living my life and who I'm living it for. Well, it's me. Okay. So that's a deep thought. Let me go ponder that for a while. I'd go dig into that and things like that that were really helpful. Um, you know, why do you want circumcision in the heart? Is it so you can boast about it or is it for, yeah, questions like that really rung deep and really showed my selfishness right to my face that I could then go back and have brokenness and have the fear of Yah and have those opportunities to come up because those questions posed really hit core parts of my selfishness and who I was. And that was a huge help in our marriage that I look at that you were that support system in that for me to give me some of those things as well as Phil and Sean and other people in the gathering. I'm not negating getting help from other people, but like I said, having that time, that quiet time at night and coming upstairs and feeling frustrated, like, well, I didn't really get anything and I don't really understand. Um, and then yeah, through you making it very clear with one question. And I'm like, that was from yeah, I'm going to go evaluate that. So that was a huge help. And I think that directly speaks to, um, your behavior can win over your spouse. And when I say that, that's not me giving myself any kind of accolades or anything. It's simply because I remember, I actually remember that conversation specifically, but then there were other evenings and it was, you know, late at night and you'd come upstairs and, um, you know, sometimes you'd be in tears. Sometimes you would just be so devastated or depressed or so beat down. And because I had been, um, growing in my faith and working diligently on myself and making, um, heart changes about being your wife, being that support, putting aside my selfishness, um, that when I would see you like that, those questions, like there were two parts of me, the one part that wanted to be, um, the maybe traditional wife type of give you the hug and it's okay and the that kind of thing but the god part of me reining in that part of myself and asking god what it is that you truly needed 
from me. So those questions, I know they might sound kind of harsh, but when I was saying them, they weren't coming from a place of arrogance or anger. They were sincere and they were from Yah because I would pray during those conversations and ask them to give me the words that you needed. And most of the times in those conversations, the words you needed weren't the, oh, it's okay, you'll be fine. Because, and the reason I could set that part aside is because, um, like, I was in the long game for the safety of your soul, not the safety of your feelings. Um, if that might be helpful to anybody who's out there who may be in this situation of, I mean, obviously, guidance from Yah, but there may be times where you're going to step on your spouse's feelings for for the greater good. <laughs> and don't confuse that with your greater good, because I did that plenty of times too. If you're going to be selfish and step on your spouse selfishly for your gain, um, especially if you have circumcision of the heart, Yah will quickly and definitively deal with you. So um, don't get it mixed up. Like it truly is the greater good for your spouse, not for you. If you all could talk about this, this came to mind. As you look on Facebook and people will have wedding pictures and even recently with Tori, she had a, what you would look at as a quote, a traditional worldly wedding. And you all, your wedding ceremony was not, I would say a traditional one. Um, and either one of you can speak, speak about this, speak about your actual wedding ceremony and then speak of perceptions that people would have looking at that versus what y'all looks at as a wedding ceremony, like from the worldly perspective of what people look at is well, you were married and you had the church wedding and the dress and the throwing the rice and versus what does y'all see when they look at two people that are going to be married together? just from both perspectives, from where you started and where you are now. I'm all about this because I loved our wedding. Um, I will say there was a couple of reasons that probably set me up for this. I was never the girl to um, like make a Pinterest board about my wedding. I just didn't. That was just something that wasn't. I was a tomboy. I had five brothers. We talked about weddings maybe three times in the 18 years of my life. I don't even remember ever talking about it. But um, so for our wedding, I had one request. I wanted to have an outdoor wedding. And from there, Josh and I had talked it over and we wanted to have something very focused on Yah, even though we, again, we didn't realize we didn't have circumcision of the heart. But <clears throat> I also, this worked out well for me since I had a falling out in my family, and I didn't have that many friends. There wasn't really anybody I wanted to invite aside from two of my brothers, um, Josh's mom, and truly, and then our church family. And that was really the only people I wanted there. Um, we were able to turn the setup over to Phil and Cindy, and they set up something called a uh, a hoopah, which is based on Jewish tradition. And there were three different covenants that we went through, the sandal covenant, the salt covenant, and the blood covenant, or we used wine. So 
Um, but it was, for me, it was this beautiful experience with God. And so many people, as I was like prepping for my wedding, they were like, oh, don't worry. Every bride has regrets about their wedding day. It's okay. You'll just, it'll be fine. I have zero regrets about our wedding. I loved our wedding because it was something that came from Yah and I truly didn't have any expectations about it. I just, I had requested to be outdoors. I actually got married at Natural Chimneys. Um, So that was something. So I know Josh will be able to speak more about this. You got a whole lot of pushback because you come from a very traditional family. My parents had already disowned me, so they made that real easy. Well, this is this is where it goes back between what Yah defines as marriage and what worldly aspect of marriage is. And um, before we actually were married, um, we spent time with Phil and Sean, having sit down conversations about each other, learning about each other, um, being told about accountability. That there would be conversations that we would have between each other. Um, you know, before we got married and then after our marriage, when things would come up that we would have sit down conversations about that. And we did, uh, I, you would look at it from a worldly point of view as wedding vows, but it's called a ketubah. And we actually sat down and worked on writing things out back and forth, your part, my part, and then a joint part of what we both wanted to say about Yah, because we were going into it with the mindset that this wasn't just between you and me, it was between you, me, and Yah, and this was a union of all of us coming together, and they were going to hold us accountable on that. Again, not having circumcision of the heart, it was the the mindset of doing it to the best of our ability with not having the heart knowledge that we now have from it. Um, so, like I said, heart knowledge comes after head knowledge, and we had times with that, but we were coached specifically that we weren't allowed to touch until after our ketubah was signed, even though we knew we were going to get married. After our ketubah was signed, we were allowed to hold hands. And I think you held my hand for 12 hours straight. I don't think you let go of it the first time you were able to do it, which is awesome. I love that. I loved holding your hand too. Um, He's not exaggerating. <laughs> and so after that, we talked about the wedding and how we were going to do the hoopah aspect in in front of natural chimneys and all of that. And before uh, we about a month before that, actually we had to call a magistrate and go down to the courthouse and legally be married because we were not going to have an officiate for our wedding. We weren't doing that. That was a traditional thing. So we were legally married by Virginia law a month before we actually had our wedding. And, um, I didn't ask yeah at this point, but because I wasn't there, but when we were legally married, um, the, the judge that was there was like, well, you can kiss her if you want to. And my mindset went to, there's no reason why I shouldn't kiss her. We're legally married now. So I leaned over and kissed you for the first time. And that pretty much knocked you on your feet. You, I, I think either Cindy caught you or someone caught you. I almost walked into a wall, but okay, it's fine. And it wasn't, an inappropriate kiss. It was just a lean over. Hey, I'm kissing you. And that was pretty, that was a very eventful thing for me. Um, no, it was for you. But then, like I said, we, even at that point, we still were limited to what we were doing together physically. 
and we were told and we obeyed those those commands that were given to us to limit that because knowing more now that it's the actual union of a man and a woman coming together is what is considered marriage before Yah, not a piece of paper, not a ceremony. It's the actual union. That's the whole concept of marriage. So even at Natural Chimneys, when we had our ceremony, we were still not married in the eyes of Yah until later. So that's what I remember about it more than anything. And the fact that I really did not want you to walk down the aisle by yourself. That really tore me up. So when you came around the corner in your dress and your brother was with you and walking you down the aisle, that's when I lost it. So that was, that was a very emotional time for me that, yay, she doesn't have to walk down the aisle alone. And that was something that meant a lot to me because that's one aspect of that ceremony that I couldn't do with you. And I was like, uh, wish I could be there with you for that. So that, that was something that I definitely took away from that on top of how beautiful the entire ceremony was, the setup that we were focused about making it about Yah, um, the amount of effort and time spent on each aspect of what we were doing. Um, the ketubah working on that together for months and then getting that framed and going through that whole process to make it a big deal. So, for those listening, could you explain what you mean when you talk about a ketubah? So from the Hebrew aspect, the ketubah is like a contract or a wedding agreement. Um, it's been a while since we've had this lesson. So I'm. I think officially it's like a, a prenuptial agreement. I think that's kind of how like they look at it. Um, we used it more as a declaration of our intent to each other, but. And like, I, well, I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, we were signing a prenup of what we were bringing the other person spiritually of ourselves. We didn't have anything on there that talked about um, possessions or bank account, whatever might be on a prenup in the worldly sense. Yeah, I remember um, it's like we look at, uh, again, I don't know all the legal terminage, but I remember from like a prenup, it's about assets and things like that, that if this doesn't go this way, who gets what of what percentage and things like that. Ours was more, like I said, I, I would look at ours as more of a wedding vow aspect. Um, I have a line that sticks out in mine, but that's because we have Passover coming up and that, that's part of my focus. But um, one of the lines in mine is I vow to die more to myself every day to live more for God and you. And That is an area of my focus for Passover for both of you. So, um, cause I have not been living up to that. So. Um, yeah, so we would been told to evaluate our Ketubah for Passover this year, which is coming up in a week, actually less than a week. Um, so, and I will say like, if you do look up a traditional ketubah, I'm pretty sure it is heavily focused in like the prenuptial agreement. So don't, um, I guess hold us to that part of it because truly it was what you yourself are bringing to the other person. They were in our, our vows to each other. 
that we, um, <laughs> I will say that for me, I've only very recently begun to start, um, doing my best to live those vows. Unfortunately, it was kind of something where we had gotten it signed and it hung in our house for a long time. And y'all, we made a mistake on the dimensions of our ketubah. And the thing is like the size of half a door, I think it's like four feet by three feet. I'm not kidding. The thing is huge. So, um, but it did become something that was just kind of sitting in our house and I didn't read it that often. And I was so focused on my selfishness that I was not paying attention to the vows I made. And then <laughs> several, you know, once I had circumcision of the heart and then probably a year or two into circumcision of the heart is when I put my foot down with myself and was done, um, basically done with my whining about the same things over and over again. And when I started to read my vows and look at where the issues in our marriage was, I was like, huh, well, if I was keeping my vows, then a lot of these would be solved. <laughs> hmm. Funny how that works. If you make a vow, God will surely demand it of you. Um, so that was something I found interesting. Um, I will deviate a little bit and just say that um, for anybody listening who, if you have circumcision of the heart, fantastic. Um, it would definitely be a benefit to you to select a partner that has circumcision of the heart. Um, if you don't, you must understand that you will be the one consistently held to Yah's standard and your partner will not meet that standard because they are incapable of it. So if you're going to enter a wedding arrangement with somebody who doesn't have circumcision of the heart, bring your patience and your dedication and your commitment because you're that will be required of you and your partner is not going to be able to match you in any of that. So it will be a daily struggle, um, a daily battle, and you will not have that, um, what is it, the, the equally yoked. You're not gonna be able to have certain conversations with your partner because they will simply not be capable of understanding. So that's just my, my advice out there. Um, if you are currently um, in a relationship or a marriage with somebody and you've recently got circumcision of the heart, well, that's great. Um, but the same message still applies. You don't have a free pass for anything simply because your partner doesn't have circumcision of the heart. So um, for the ladies out there, this can be maybe a little bit tougher of a position or maybe not tougher, maybe weirder because figuring out the submission piece when your husband doesn't have circumcision of the heart can be a little bit tougher. Um, I will say, I won't go into specifics. Um, there were three occasions in our marriage where Josh 
didn't treat me in a manner that matched um, what God would ask of him. And these three occasions (coughs) were times where I decided to be the submissive wife, to lean into God, and to do my part. When I did my part and didn't try to take vengeance or retribution into my hands, and I truly had no thought on a negative outcome for Josh, I just was focusing on myself, um, each of those three times Josh ended up in the hospital. Not by my hand, but because um, God looked at what I was doing looked at what Josh was doing. And since I had done my part, and I think there's a scripture for this maybe that talks about God taking care of people. If someone does an an injustice, maybe I'm, maybe I don't, I might just be mixed up. So. It's um, not necessarily a scripture. Well, it is, but it's more of the spirit of it where Sarah going along with Abraham that to say that uh, she was his sister and she went along with it. And then her being protected to where he came to a person that said, don't lay a hand on her because of Abraham and and says, well, Lord, I had no intention. I was like, I know that, but don't because she was protected, meaning that, that you'll be protected by your submission to your husband. Y'all will take care of your husband as, as they did. So you're doing your part as your best protection and vice versa that if you're, living it properly, that's your protection is the trust in, in Yah. So yes, it is in the word. And I'll speak to that, that the, the last time I remember um, having that happen, uh, it's been year, three years, maybe. I, I can't remember the exact time frame. It's been a while. Um, I, again, emotional flood. I was getting upset and getting frustrated with something with you because I was trying to get an emotional rise out of you and you were not feeding me that emotion. And I was very frustrated and very mad. I remember raising my voice to you and yelling at you, which is something I don't do. Um, and when I yelled at you, I knew I had yelled at you. And I knew I was yelling at you because I was mad. And that night I got food poisoning. And it was to the point the following day that I got dizzy and I almost collapsed in our house. And I ended up missing the gathering that night to go to the hospital and they were like, yeah, your fluids are really low. Um, you're really dehydrated. Um, you've probably had a stomach bug and they had to give me all sorts of things. And I remember coming home and reflecting on that. And because before going into that, I was like, man, this is really painful. This is a lot of, you know, what, what's going on? What have I missed? And I just remember very clearly, you do not yell at your wife. I was like, understood. So that was, I believe that was the last time I yelled at you from what I understand. I don't believe I've yelled at you since then. Definitely not out of an anger or a point like that. If it's a yell, it's to get an attention. But, um, but again, a continuing deep evaluation. How many times have I not verbally yelled at you, but still yelled at you? And that goes back to self-reflection and just learning to move away from selfishness and continue to grow as one. Um, you mentioned the yoke. Do you have something, Bill? Uh, just real quick, I'm just going to throw a scripture in there from the Old Testament that shows this uh, aspect of protection from God. Um, and the story 
Uh, I can't tell you exactly where it is right now, but it's about a, a guy named Nabal and his wife. I believe her name was Abigail. Yeah, Abigail. Right. And she was doing what was right. Her husband was harsh with her. And ultimately, in the end, she by her doing what was right, she was protected and her husband actually lost his life um, in, in that whole situation. And it just, again, it just carries through the aspect that if you do what is right, you will be accepted by God and God will take care of you. Now we know that in the physical world that we're going to have physical ailments, there's going to be things that are going to happen, but God's going to make it clear that who, who belongs to them and who doesn't. And so it is in the Bible, both in story and in context, that your protection, no matter who you are, comes from your faith in God. And even if you're wronged and something's not done about it, why not rather be wronged because of your submission to God? Because what it does is it shows your trust in God. And then God says, okay, well, you're not worried about the other person and you're just going to trust. I'm going to take care of it. And so I'm going to take care of it. So that's, that was just a, another story that had come to mind. I, and I'm sure if you Google Nabal and Abigail, that you'll be able to find that story if you want to look it up as well. Well, and the cool thing I've always liked the story of Abigail. Um, and she was actually doing something to protect her husband because King David was coming through there and had requested food and her husband had um, very ingraciously said no. And King David was about, I think he had told his fighting men to strap on their swords and they were going to go wipe him out. And then Abigail came with food and provisions and begged uh, David not to do anything. And, um, so she actually, what I like about that story is she was doing this to protect her household and her husband. And then, as Phil said, um, when news it reached Nabal Nabal, I can't, don't know how to say his name. Um, it said he became as one who was stoned for 10 days and then he died. So, I mean, I guess he was paralyzed for 10 days or in a coma or something like that. And he passed away and she actually became one of the wives of King David. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool story. Um, and I will say, I put that caveat in there about myself of when I did the right thing as well. There were plenty of times where I would get upset and lash out at Josh and y'all would look at that and say, well, if you're going to take it into your hands, then I'm just going to sit back and let you take it into your hands. And it just never went well. So on those occasions where I was able to remain self-controlled and to turn the situation over to Yah, that's when I was um, protected or event. I don't really know what the right word is, but I will say that, and I don't know if this is just as a woman or if a guy could have this experience or not, but um, when you turn your trust 
and your emotional pain and your heart and everything you're feeling because and I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings, but when your husband comes at you when all you want is that unity with him and he wasn't, you know, he didn't have circumcision of the heart. We couldn't be fully unified at this point, but it was devastating to me. And I did cry out to Yah and I poured my heart out to them but to them and appropriately. And I would just like, but I need you to handle the situation. What can I learn from this? And then not that, and not that I wanted Josh to go to the hospital, but seeing that situation happen in less than 12 hours and recognizing that the creator of the universe stepped in and said, because you have obeyed me and carried out my commands, and I am going to deliver some justice on your behalf simply because you're my daughter and I care about you. It's just a powerful feeling. I don't really know. I'm not doing it justice to describe how how cared for and how safe I felt in that moment. And not I never told Josh during these situations, God did that to you because that wasn't my place. He was the one who would come to me and let me know, hey, I've been told that this happened. I may have known it, but it wasn't my job to point that out. So um, again, I'm not sure I'm doing this justice of the safety and peace you can feel when you do your part that Yah calls you to, but it's a truly beautiful thing. And just to answer your question that it's not just women who get that um i could not have sustained uh operating the gathering that god asked us to do if it weren't for that fact because that was in a time when nobody else understood what i understood nobody else could see what i could see and it was very difficult but having to answer for, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you celebrating Christmas? And why aren't you working? Cause, uh, you, you're, you're supposed to take care of your family. And, uh, I, I don't care what other people say. What I care is obeying God. And that was truly for me. I, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because God, I mean, literally, I was seeking God with all of my heart, but God had to carry me through that time because there were times in all honesty in the beginning of the gathering where Sunday morning would come and I'd be like, I don't want to go down there because let them figure it out. Then they're not going to listen. Let them figure it out. And there was some aspect of taking it personal at that point too. And you in faith and you're doing things for God, you, you don't want to take things personal. You have to learn how to not take things personal because it's not you. If you tell somebody the truth about something and they reject it, it's not your problem. It's theirs. Um, but there was a, a process and learning in it, but I, but God does do that, that uh, place of comfort, that strong tower that wraps around you and you know, that they're there, that's what keeps you going. 
That's, that's what gives you the strength in the midst of people coming at you and attacking you that, you know what? This is what God wants and doesn't matter to me what other people think. So it does correlate over to men just as well as women. It correlates to anybody who gives God the full favor of commitment uh, and you doing the best to do your part. Josh and Andrew, speak a little bit about what we can learn from marriage in the physical, like you two being united as one and transfer that to the spiritual aspect of marriage. Actually, that that ties right into what I was thinking. When she when Anna brought up the aspect about being unequally yoked or yoked, I was going to actually describe what that is and where that came from. Um, so that was a term that you would do for oxen or donkey or, or heavy lifting animals on a farm that they would put a yoke around them. And it was a kind of like a, either a wooden or a, it's a mechanism that went around both necks of the animals and you could hitch something to it and it would allow both animals to equally pull weight. You could pull a lot more weight with that, whether it was a cart or a tree or uprooting, a, uprooting a tree or whatever it was. And having them equally yoked and equally balanced, you wouldn't put um, a, a bull that's, you know, 500 pounds with something that was a hundred pounds because they're not going to pull the same way. The bull is going to be able to pull away more. It's going to throw it off. It's not going to, it's not going to work effectively. And with Anna bringing up that aspect of unequally yoked, it's the picture in my head that was given to me was essentially Anna on one side and me backwards on the other side. And even though she is continuing to move forward in faith because she's yoked to me. Anytime we come together, we're not moving anywhere. We're basically just going in circles because I wasn't set on going the same direction she was. So even though she was moving forward in faith and growing, when it came to us as one, we weren't able to grow as one yet because I was just going in circles until I'd set my heart to seek with the after all with everything. And then I could move forward with that in that direction. So that was what came to mind when we were talking about aspect of being yoked together. You have something, Phil? I just had this picture and it goes along with the word of God where Paul spoke about how by your good behavior, you can win over your husband and vice versa. Uh, it works both ways, but because in your mind, your concept was that you weren't going anywhere and you were just going in circles. The issue was, was that Anna Ruth was pushing forward, which means you were yoked together. She was dragging you along. You were just looking the other direction. And that's the whole thing. You do your part. God gives you the strength to pull the other person, even though they're fighting against it. And that's funny because when you were talking about going in circles, I was thinking, I was like, well, it really just kind of felt like I was dragging like some dead weight behind me. I mean, that was just funny. I was thinking that I was like, you know, because like I was just picturing myself like trudging along i'm a i'm a small person y'all i'm only five foot one so and josh is like what 220 i don't know he's he's works out a lot he looks like thor so it truly it like if he were to dig his heels in and me walk forward like i'm not gonna and i do think that's a beautiful concept because you're not obviously the person who has circumcision of the heart you're gaining ground you're moving forward 
as an individual in faith. But your marriage really is going to be a slog. I mean, you are dragging your way through it. Um, and then when that person does that about face and you move together, I mean, you still have the journey to do, but you're going to do it much quicker and much more efficiently. So I think that's a beautiful picture. As I'm learning, listening to myself speaking, let me explain further what I was getting at when I was just speak about tie in you all being, what is the picture Yah is getting where a man and woman being one translating to the fullness of it, meaning that the marriage to Messiah, what are we to learn from the physical here to teach us about what the true spiritual aspect of marriage is? What are we to learn from you all as having faith in Yah in the, in the physical realm? What does that teach us taking it to the spiritual aspect? Um, I think the main thing for me that comes to mind is the submission aspect. Um, at, we're all called to be submissive to Messiah and to God, um, because collectively we become the bride of Yahusha. Um, and the bride's part, the female aspect is to be in submission. So for me, like learning to cooperate with Josh and to, um, respect his decisions, um, to be honest, we make a lot of our decisions together at this point, but there have been a few times where he's wanted to make a decision um, in a different way and me learning to respect that. And again, to trust Yah that if it's an incorrect decision, then it will be made clear to him or, or me. I mean, if I'm, you know, where, where have I been wrong in that? So I think for me, that's probably the biggest tie that I can see. I don't know if you have more. So when we walked Thursday night, we had a concept that came out. We were talking about an aspect of faith and that um, we own our own faith and that we do own our own faith. But the statement that was made that made by me is that um, we're authors of our faith and uh, that's not correct according to scripture that Yusha was the author of our faith. So just like an aspect of marriage, when we got married, your name, your, your name changed. Um, that's just tradition. And you now bear my last name that, that shows that we're one, we're of one family, we're united. And because you bear my last name, you're now a part of me and we're together. Well, I look at faith as Yusha laid the path of faith for all of us to follow and then went ahead of us to prepare a place. So being united to Yahusha in faith with circumcision of the heart, we now bear the name of Messiah as a part of that family. That's now non it's unable to be broken unless we choose to commit adultery and separate from that name. And then that will be cut off from that name. So the union of you and me coming together to bear a name and ultimately produce godly offspring is the same concept for faith that we are united to Yusha so that we can be one 
and therefore bear fruit as one. When I was just thinking that your pledge of a good conscience, your pledge to Yah would be reminiscent of signing your ketubah vows or you know, if you don't do a ketubah, your wedding vows, you're you're making a pledge. Um, right now, we're still in the engagement period with Christ, but you, I mean, you've either made those vows or you haven't. And if you've made them, um, you're going to keep yourself pure. If you're engaged, you're not going to go sleep with somebody. Or if you do, most likely that engagement is not going to last. Um, so you're going to keep yourself pure. You're going to keep yourself set apart. You're going to be communicating with your fiance. You're going to be eager, excited, um, learning more about them, preparing for your life together. Uh, and for us, it's learning how to walk like Yahusha did. It's learning how to be I think about that you're you're learning how to be perfect, but you're not perfect because you're perfecting because you're still walking. Like it's this, it's it sounds like this weird word thing, but you're on the journey perfecting yourself because your goal is to be perfect. Sean, please help. <laughs> this is so. This is, and I know that I'm, I'm pointed at as being witty, but this is one where today and you're not going to believe this, but this was given to me. I was just sitting at my desk today because I had thought about this concept. We are to be a perfectionist, not a perfected ist. <laughs> I like it because I was sitting there like, is that the, the term came to mind? Well, should we say that somebody's a perfectionist, but yes, from the godly perspective, a perfection is meaning that your goal is to perfect, meaning your goal is to make something better and better and better because if it's perfected, then there's nothing more to be done to it. Like once you're like Messiah, once perfected, once he ascended into the kingdom, he has a glorified immortal body that he he's not going to come back to corruption again. Like it's already he's there, that he's immortal. There is no immortality back to mortality. So the goal is, is not looking to get to like a linear stop perfected. It's a perfecting aspect that there's always something to work on. There's always something to grow and be content, meaning that you have circumcision of the heart, but always look to what can I improve? What can I get better? This can improve. Uh, I correlate a lot of things for me to sports that you did this and the game is over, but what can you do to get better the next time? Cause there's another game coming. There's another situation. Marriage has many, many struggles and obstacles. What can you do to improve the next time? And there's always something to work on. So yeah, I just, uh, I had a, a just sitting at work today and I was like, yeah, it's, it, we, we are to be a perfectionist, meaning that we don't get, we're getting away from being frustrated at not doing something exactly right, because if it's exactly right, then it can't be any better, uh, anything like that. So, and that's the thing with the, once you have circumcision of the heart that you, you're not under a strict code to where 
you failed and it's over, it's okay, well, you're under, it's, you're, you're walking in the law, but the law means that you do the best you can to obey it. And that's where the perfecting comes is that obedience is about doing the best you can. Do you have something for? Um, I was just holding on to this, um, just to put information out there for uh, those who haven't studied the Jewish, the ancient Jewish wedding perspective, that putting it to, we'll say layman's terms, like uh, modern day perspective, the ketubah, at the signing of the ketubah, was the equivalent to the engagement that, you know, you, you, what we have in this world, okay, you get an engagement ring and then you have, you know, people have engagement announcements and engagement parties. And I, with the ketubah, that was the start of the engagement. And it was a contract that when signed, when entered into that engagement, though you were not uh, united in flesh yet, or had your ceremony, that you were considered that you were married, that the ketubah that you signed locked you into a contract of marriage to that person, the other person who signed the ketubah, as well as the witnesses that were there to sign it as proof of the signing. It was uh, considered and intended that you were going to carry it through then to completion, that you would carry it through to having the ceremony and then having the coming together as one flesh in the perspective of it. Um, and it's important because our pledge of a good conscience that Peter talks about is us signing the ketubah, is us saying that we, we're vowing to everything that uh, you that we agree to do everything uh, our part and God through their circumcision of the heart for you, they signed and sealed by putting mother in the heart. And so it's already considered that when you have the fullness of faith with circumcision of the heart, that you are locked into a contractual marriage to Messiah that neither neither you are intended to back out of and God will not back out of it. If you back out, then that's you and you'll, you'll uh, suffer the consequences for that because you've ultimately divorced the son of God and trampled him underfoot. Um, but just given that information about the uh, ketubah, just so uh, people are able to recognize and understand, and they can look it up, you know, the, the ketubah perspective from the ancient Jewish wedding. Um, but it was considered a covenant contract that locked you into the fact that you were going to marry that person. And there was not uh, an intention of anybody getting out of that as well. And I think the word ketubah is spelled K-E-T-U-B-A-H, if that. Sometimes when I go to look up these words, I, I'm i like, how do I, how would I go to spell that? So um, the ketubah, if you want to check that out. it's I would recommend checking out the whole ancient Jewish wedding lesson. We went through that several times as a church, and the ties to faith are astronomical, and it's a beautiful lesson as well.
I had Hebrews come to mind with this. Josh, I just looked, I don't, I don't, I, not because I looked at you, but this just came to mind that the blasphemy of mother is when you break the seal, if you fall away in the Hebrews, it mentions that trampling the blood of Messiah underfoot, you have insulted the spirit of grace where you break, you divorce the son and you're breaking the seal that that's the blasphemy that, that my work has made it to where you can be united with us in full and you've trampled it. And just made me think of insulting. It would be like insulting God mother to her face to where you're, it's a willful rejection, which breaks the seal, which you fall away. And that's why it just, it, it's important that the, it's that notary seal or that stamp that you put on a document, like an official notarized document means that you have a witness and they put the notary seal because I used to do this where you would have a notary public that would get an emboss seal, which you would squeeze it down and make an imprint in it and they would sign it and they would witness that everybody's in agreement. And that's that full thing. As Phil said, you have your side, your pledge of a good conscience. And then Yah's looking at that and they're agreeing to it. And mother is the seal and it's official in, in the kingdom to where you're written in the lamb's book of life. At that point, you're, you're, your name is embossed in that book unless your name is blotted out that, but that's what seals it because an official document, like a wedding certificate or things, you'll see either a, like a sticker seal or an embossed seal that you actually have a, a tool that you put on the paper and squeeze it. And it actually, it's a raised seal and the circumcision of heart is that raised seal that this is, it's recorded in the courthouse. It's official that you're a part of the family. And it was a great aspect that you mentioned that it's the female that changes her name, which the bride of Messiah that in revelation mentions, you'll be given a, a new name that nobody knows that because it's the wife goes to the husband. So when we're joined to Messiah that we take on their, that their name. And even before that, um, those of us have been given different names per, really personas, a, a persona. But I just had that come to mind that that's a, it, it's a big deal that and all the things that come with it, that it's the kingdom is looking at that. And mother is the one that's making it official to where just like with the parable of the virgins and the oil that make sure you have enough oil, make sure you have mother that if you, you run out of oil, you don't have that oil you need. You're not going to come in. The bridegroom comes back and they don't see the seal because you, you didn't have what you needed to have. One, just with that, I also thought, I think we've talked about in our gathering that the Hebrew word for wrath is feminine. And I was thinking about, and again, I'm in my imperfect body and I have the cutest, almost two-year-old little girl. And the thought of somebody getting engaged to her and then deliberately rejecting her and again, not that I would be clear because I am human, but the heart changes I would go through and the difficulty I would have seeing my little girl hurt in that way and rejected and then recognizing that Ima and Abba, like mother and Abba have the perfected version of that then. I imagine the wrath that would be righteously unleashed at that point. And as a mom and to all the moms out there, we know a little bit of what that's like in our humanness. 
So I had this hit me, Sean. You were talking about Hebrews and about mother and the aspect of rejection of that. So we've talked about this before that um, Yah hates divorce. And we had the concept come up that, okay, well, if Yah hates divorce, have we divorced the enemy? And if we divorce the enemy, how can we be married to Yusha? Because that would make us an adulteress, and that's not appropriate. And so that was a question that came out. And talking about that and getting revelation on that and understanding on that, that the aspect of you circumcising your heart is dying to your selfishness, which is the part of you that's bound to the enemy. So by dying to your selfishness, it frees you from that bond of marriage to the enemy so that you can now be a new creation and bonded to Yusha appropriately. If death is what divides you when it comes to marriage, would that not be the concept of you attempting to try and kill mother in you and think about wrath from Yah on that aspect and Yusha? you deliberately trying to kill his mother and then Abba's wife, the amount of wrath incurred by that, no wonder it's an unforgivable sin that you would commit. And that aspect hitting me, physical, if I truly wanted to be separated from my wife, not that this would ever happen, the only option I have so I could be remarried would be to kill you because that is the only way that would ever happen in my mind. And that would be terrible. That would never happen. But that would be terrible. Thank you. But that hit me and I was like, wow, okay. That makes it that much more clear from a physical aspect of why that's such an unforgivable sin. And that that's the only way you could be removed from that grace because that's the attempt in your mind. Not that you could do that because Yah is Yah. But that mindset and that heart set to have that kind of animosity to go to war against Yah when you've already been joined to them would be what would be that separation. So for clarity's sake and the sake of those listening, that so with both of you having circumcision of the heart uh, and having this now godly marriage that makes everything easy right it gives you the tools necessary to be united more and more every day and that is a nice way of saying no it does not make things easier but it does make things easier like your statement earlier i'd say mr pc over here being all politically correct about stuff no and that's just to uh, verify what Paul was saying when he was talking about marriage and when he told some that if you can refrain from sexual temptation, to it would be better for you to not get married because marriage brings troubles and I, I want to spare you of this. So his objective was that if you can sustain yourself without temptation, then you can spare yourself troubles by just staying as you are rather than to get uh, to get married because there are troubles. But let me ask you this question then, okay? 
do those troubles get less and less as the marriage goes on in the godly perspective? Yeah, and speaking from this as the one who had circumcision of the heart first, the conversations and things that Josh and I can have now are so much better. Um, Yes, usually at the onset, one or both of us, and it goes back and forth, um, will tend to have some frustration, but we tend to recognize it and own it quicker and then take a couple minutes to calm ourselves, think about it. And I was thinking like, so with marriage, you never have the option of um, thinking, well, I want to do this for me and I'm justified in that. Like that's simply not an option if you're doing it in a godly manner. Your concern is always supposed to be for God first and your spouse. So, and I mean, obviously there's process and selfishness in that, but so whenever you are frustrated, anytime you are frustrated in your marriage, it is always your fault. Always, always. (laughs) There is no option that if you were frustrated that you are somehow in the right. And that can be extra frustrating. I don't know. It's it's this layered thing. But the good news is when your partner has circumcision of the heart, it's never right for them to be frustrated either. So then you have the ability of you're both truly focusing on yourself and working on your stuff. And yes, there will be overlap. And sometimes I point things out to Josh that I'm probably not supposed to. And he'll point some things out to me that maybe he's not supposed to. And, but again, if it frustrates you, then it's still your problem. So it's just, it's so different. And I had something revealed to me um, that I thought was really cool. Um, I had been talking in a gathering about um, if you're, you know, sometimes if you're not paying attention to something or you're just not looking in a direction that maybe y'all want you to look because you're being selfish. And I had this, I was the one saying this in the gathering. And we always talk about that if it comes out of your mouth, it is first and foremost for you. So Josh doesn't drink alcohol at this point. And every now and then he would bring some home for me here and there, like some wine or something like that. And I think it was Thursday night. So the night after we had church where he brought something home, it was like this pink margarita mix. It was really good. I drank too much of it. I got sick the next day. It was not a good thing. Um, I think I was actually hungover. I don't really know if I'd ever been hungover before, but I think that's what it was. Um, And I started praying about it because a lot of times when we have a physical ailment, sometimes it's tied to something spiritual. Not all the times, but a lot of times. And I realized that I had kind of been toying with this idea that since Josh and I are one and he doesn't drink alcohol, why do I need to drink alcohol? But I didn't dive deeper into that because I was being selfish. And once this situation happened and I 
remembered what I had said in church on Wednesday. And then I turned my gaze there and I realized there's no reason for me to drink alcohol right now. It's simply not for me to be a better wife, a better support, to be unified with my husband. I then made a vow that until or if Josh drinks again, which I don't think will be ever, then I'm not going to drink alcohol either. And this is, he had no clue that I was thinking about this. This is not something he asked me about. This is something that God was impressing on me and that I finally turned my attention to once I realized what was going on. And in doing that, we have, um, you know, if we ever go to an event or something, he knows that at least one other person, I mean, it's not even a question to him of whether or not I'm going to have something to drink at this point because I'm not. So, I mean, not that he has to have that or whatever, but we're unified. We are now unified on that front. We are going to be the couple who does not drink. So it was just something that, and then looking at that, I thought that was something cool for our journey together that I was able to recognize an area where I could step up and be better connected to my husband. Well, and you spoke to ladies about if you are seeking circumcision of the heart or you have it and your partner doesn't just be aware of that. I'll speak to the side of having a partner that had circumcision of the heart and then being on that journey. Um, everybody has their own moments in faith that you will remember that you will go through that are tests for you to understand where you're at in faith and to move to the next step. And I remember the one for me that if you had not had circumcision of the heart, it would have been a much tougher road for me to go down of an aspect of being suspended at my job. And that was put on hold and knowing that I had, we had a house and I had a wife that was not going to work anymore. And she was four months pregnant. And what am I going to do? Healthcare, house, job, money, get on the way. How do I handle this? And remember that whole situation started and the mindset in that situation was, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in this, but it's going to be for your glory. I'm going to handle myself appropriately in this and I'm going to learn whatever I need to learn from this. And a week went by and I didn't hear anything. And I was really struggling with, do I start looking for a new job? What do I do? You know, am I ever going to get back into work? Do I need to work again? I mean, filled it and work at one point for years. I mean, is that the direction I'm going to go? Where's this going to go? And looking into possibly getting a different job, having quiet time with Yah and being told very directly, you do nothing until a decision is made. And I was like, okay, that's what we're doing. That, that sealed it for me. And at one point you said, look, it's been like three days. Have you heard anything from your job? Do you know? I mean, what's going on? And me telling you, y'all made it absolutely clear to me that I'm to do nothing until a decision's made. And you looked at me and said, okay, that's what you're doing then. And that was the end of that conversation. And with circumcision of the heart, I look at that as such a benefit for me on my end that because you had circumcision of the heart, making that statement to you, you were like, you normally don't make straightforward 100% statements, especially before circumcision of the heart. So for me to come out and be able to say something like that, you'd be like, that's what we're doing then. Okay. And then not question it again was a huge benefit for me. And that was a huge help for support. Um, 
And then seeing that moving now, talking about back and forth, since you brought up the aspect of you and I sharing things back and forth the other day when we had our conversation again, I started to get frustrated. I don't remember what it was about. I know you started to get frustrated. We sat down and we talked about it because I was like, okay, wait, I can feel that rise. Let me pause. So then I sat down and took a couple of breaths. You were already sitting down and we started to talk that out and coming to an understanding in that situation and then a plan because the mindset going into that conversation on both sides was, okay, so we have a conflict between the two of us. We need to figure out what's the goal and how we're going to achieve that together because that's what we're doing. And we went back and forth and that, that conversation that I thought was going to be 10 minutes was probably closer to 30. But at the end of that conversation, we had both shared, we had both talked. And the benefit of that is when you share stuff, I get to hear your point of view on it. And then whether that's your issue to deal with, it then helps me say, Ooh, well, why did I do that? Cause everything that we do, we do for a reason. So then it helps me evaluate myself and say, do I know why I did that? Is there something inappropriate that ties to why I did that? Okay. So it gives me an opportunity to evaluate something in myself. And if I get to the evaluation and nothing's revealed, okay, well then don't need to worry about that one. But chances are something's revealed of that's lower programming. Did you see that was because of selfishness or if that was because of something that happened when you were younger? Oh, wow. Okay. Now I have an opportunity to change something and then grow. When I get frustrated, it does the exact same thing. I get to dive into self again and say, okay, why am I frustrated in this situation? Let me take this back and weigh it against Yah, weigh it against truth, weigh it against scripture, weigh it against what's right, fair, and just, and then make a change and then move forward from it. So that whole aspect brought to mind as iron sharpens iron, one human can sharpen another human, that you and I are in this union together. We're in a battle and we're fighting together as one. How much more effective are we? Because the story that came to mind was when... I don't remember if it was Joshua or one of the leaders was told to count the fighting men and he got a little bit prideful and counted them all. And then Yah continued to just dwindle it down to fewer and fewer and fewer. And finally it was at the point of now you understand that it is only with me as one fully united, fully committed. Can you overtake anything? And that is a great representation for marriage because that marriage you and I have as one in Yusha ties back to the concept of Yusha's union with anyone that has circumcision of the heart, that nothing will overtake that union and that one front because it's fully united. So that was an aspect that came to mind. Reminds me of a song from the eighties reunited and it feels so good or being united. You could change it to, Phil knows the song I'm talking about. I hope he does, because if not, I'll look silly right now. But um, great conversation. Learning a lot, uh, actually learning a lot about myself and faith journey and stuff, just actually just listening to you all and just evaluating and, and stuff like that. So I am, um, this is a good pausing point, unless anything else that you all have come to mind you'd like to talk about, but well, to do this again, and maybe we'll get another topic and you all can give us a godly marriage perspective on it as well. And just another uh, aspect of what we've talked about 
about your programming. So I'll ask you first, Anna Ruth, uh, from the reality, and I'm not talking about at this point with circumcision of the heart, uh, because we know changes is taking place, but uh, from a programming perspective, would you say that looking at Josh at the beginning of your marriage, would you say that he was like your dad? Yes. Um, and like we, we've talked about with the programming, there are some differences. Uh, Josh was or is, has always been way more social, way more bubbly than my dad ever was. But um, there are definitely very many similarities between him and my dad. My dad would probably fall over backwards if he heard me say that. But And Josh, I would ask you, do you, would you say that Anna Ruth is similar to your mother? Yes. There's, there's times when she's not cause she's more black and white, but the aspect of caring, the aspect of selflessness, um, wanting to do for others, wanting to please others, um, that absolutely ties into traits that my mother has. And I could see that in her for sure. And, and again, remember, we're talking a pre-circumcision of the heart person, not a not at this point. And again, there's still some tie uh, that it's not all bad stuff. There's good there as well. But just bringing that out for, for people to recognize and understand that when you are connected to somebody, you are connected to them for a reason. Uh, and that reason is your programming within you. And that programming is to that which you grew up with, that which you recognize, you've seen. And you don't know that that's what you're doing. You don't, you don't see that. You don't realize it. You don't understand that that's the reality of the perspective of it. And so that, that was just uh, last thing for me to just kind of bring out the aspects that if you are honest in a marriage relationship that you will recognize that the person that you're married to is very similar to your parent. And again, it may not be completely predominant in all areas, but in some major areas it is. And you don't even recognize that uh, in the, in the journey along with itself. So We will wrap up the podcast for this evening. Enjoyed it very much. Look forward to doing more again and with Josh, Anna, Ruth, and others as well. So thank everybody for listening in now and in the future, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life, and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you will receive, seek, 
and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God, and you will be blessed by it.